0: Well, at Thanksgiving time, I want to uh, just express my appreciation to uh, you as a church. And uh, we have just come through the uh, month of October, and um, yeah, I'm just humbled by your generosity and gifts, um, the recent offering, and I think it's uh, yeah, it's just humbling to realize how uh, yeah, I don't feel worthy of the. Uh, generosity that you all share, and uh, yeah, it just seems like um, thank you is hardly enough, but that is, uh, I guess I'll just leave it with that. Thank you for for your generosity. I think you all need to know what an incredible privilege and a joy it is to uh, be a part of um, to pastor team and to serve you all, I don't say that um, in any way other than just to uh, say that it is a blessing. And um, besides that, I feel like I stand in a uh, group of peers, fathers, and um, capable men and women leaders to uh, have a strong desire to 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 serve the Lord and to serve each other. And that is just a wonderful blessing. And I, I think that all of that is a blend that just, yeah, it just makes me grateful for the privilege that I have, that our family has to, to be here at Weaver Town. <clears throat> I believe that it's necessary and important to... Uh, to preach through scripture. I am not opposed to in any way to sermons that are more topical in nature, but I think you have known me long enough to know that I am sort of a stickler for choosing a passage of scripture and preaching on that. I think it's the best way and I'm not saying there's no other ways. That's not what I'm saying. But, um for me at least uh, I, it just works really well for me to uh in the my situation right now, we're preaching through the book of first Peter, and uh, as I looked ahead and was outlining sort of um, portions here and thinking of different sermons in the book of first peter um, One of the challenging things about preaching in series like that is that there are certain places that sort of circle themselves as um, sermons that are sort of hard to preach about, and I think um, there's pros and cons with that, but today I find myself, or we find ourselves in this series in 1 Peter chapter 5, and the first four verses here very clearly talk about Spiritual leadership. Actually, the whole text does, as I see it, down to verse eleven. And I thought, for at first, that I would maybe take the whole chapter or the whole passage, verses one to eleven. But I just found myself, um, in typical First Peter fashion, there's just too much. There's there's too much. So I'm going to talk today about a subject of uh, specifically to pastors and spiritual leaders uh, who. There's, there's numerous ways to be a spiritual leader. Uh, being a pastor is one of them. And like I said, there, this section is maybe one that, as I prepared and looked ahead, sort of circled itself as a... Uh, I kind of wondered how I would handle um, that passage when it came time for it. I have um, had the opportunity to preach at churches where there were ordinations or some sort of leadership appointment of some kind, but that was at somebody else's church. And uh, so I find this, uh, this, yeah, to preach this at Weavertown is, uh, is humbling uh, because I know that you know my deficiencies and you know my failings and my imperfections. But on the other hand, I, I also find that sort of comforting um, There's a sense where I find that uh, relaxing to know that uh, you know that I'm not preaching this from some sort of victory pageant of some kind. My prayer as I preach this is that the content is kind of narrow maybe to some extent, but I want it to be inspiring for everyone that's here. here at Weavertown, we have six pastors, but it has n- never been lost on me, and it's not lost on me as I prepared that there are nine other men here at Weavertown who were a pastor at some time, some, somewhere, and I, I see that as a good thing. I see that as a, a healthy thing for our church, that we have numerous men who are not currently active pastors on the leadership team here at Weavertown, but there are nine men, like I said, who have experience, who know what it's like to be in church leadership, and you understand some of the uh, things that uh, go along with that. And like I said, I see that as a good thing. At the beginning of the sermon here, I want to uh, recognize several books and authors that have been very helpful and inspiring to me i 'm um, sort of a gatherer by uh, nature, and I rely uh, very heavily on the work of other people and things that um, that I listen to or read or so yeah, I just want to give credit to uh, several books that have been very influential and have shaped my thinking about church leadership and pastoring um, first of all the um, the book called Dangerous Calling. Uh, Paul David Tripp just does an amazing job at uh, writing about um, to pastors and outlining some of the uh, challenges and the complexities that can go along with that, and I would say do go along with that. Another book is Biblical Eldership. Um, Alexander Strauch is a writer that I have consulted at numerous times. And um, I just uh, am blessed with his approach to just taking what the scripture says in relation to church leadership and pastors and just making it practical and making it sound something that is doable and uh, breaking it down, I think, in a very biblical fashion. Um, I would just, uh, I've, I've, circling back a little bit, the book Dangerous Calling is one that I have uh, given to other pastors. Um, like I said, it's it, out of all of these books, it's probably my favorite. Another book that I have enjoyed is the book by Lynn Anderson called They Smell Like Sheep. And he especially talks about shepherding and how shepherds literally... Um, take on the smell of their flock. And it's a a call to to, um, shepherd from the perspective of being among the flock. Another book that I've enjoyed is by Dan Allender, a book called Leading with a Limp. And um, this book is really challenging in the sense that he calls pastors and leaders to to, um, to lead to, to not gloss over their weaknesses, but to, to to use weakness and to use failings and imperfections as a way to um, to grow and this book especially I think calls leaders to maturity and to development and and to take the next step of faith. And um, one of the illustrations and part of the reason for the title of, that he uses is the example of Jacob when he was at the, book, at the Brook Jabbok and he met God. And God touched the hollow of his thigh, I believe, and he limped from that point on. But in many ways, that was like Jacob's new birth experience. And I think that if there was a time in Jacob's life where he was a changed man, it was it was that, that point. I have also um, enjoyed the teaching of Skip Heitzig. He is a preacher from um, Nevada and does a very good job in expository preaching. Again, using... Books of the Bible and preaching through it. Um, yeah, I just I just find that a blessing, and um, I have used some of his um, outlines in the book of First Peter here, and uh, um, in the sermon today, I'm using some of his things, and it's yeah. I just um, encourage any of you, all of you, to. To think about possibly buying these books and reading them. You don't have to be a pastor in any way to to find um, application for for and, and challenges as I see it. So yeah, just that for free, I guess. <clears throat> here in First Peter chapter five, verses one to four, we have four verses here. That I want to preach uh, through today, and uh, I think with any passage of scripture, one of the things that one of the things that drive any passage of scripture are the verbs. Um, in studying grammar and um, language in general, I think verbs are usually the the driving words, and I think that's maybe especially true in in this passage, here in 1 Peter chapter 5. I see, when I look at the verbs in this passage, the one verb that especially drives, I think, the whole passage is verse 2, where he starts with an imperative sentence, and he says, feed, feed the flock of Christ. Now, in the English language, we have a lot of words Hundreds, if not thousands of words that can be either noun or verb, depending the same word can be either a noun or a verb. in this case, we have an imperative a verb in the imperative tense that means that the reader or you are responsible to do to do this. The implication is that it is the responsibility of anyone who reads it to do this. Peter in verse one makes it very clear that he is addressing the elders that, are, that he's writing to. So while it applies to anyone who reads, I think it is uh, Peter makes it clear in verse 1 that he's addressing elders. And one of the responsibilities or the responsibility of a pastor is to feed the flock. Now, I'll be getting to this in just a minute. Um, the King James Version uses the word feed, Many other translations will use the word shepherd, and it's actually, that is the word in Greek. I'll talk about that just a little bit later. But to lead and feed, shepherd the flock which is among you. Now, when you go through the Scriptures, you will notice in both the Old and New Testament that the figure of a shepherd is used to describe, number one, God's care for His people. God looks out for his people like a shepherd, cares for his flock. God's love to us is demonstrated like a shepherd. Um, Psalm 23, for example. Psalm 23 talks about us being the sheep of his pasture. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pasture. And The Old Testament especially, and perhaps the New as well, but the the Old Testament does not always describe sheep in the positive sense. For example, one that we're familiar with in Isaiah 53, and that is where it says that we, like sheep, have gone astray. Not necessarily a favorable light. I think... uh, I'm not saying this to um, put anyone down, but as a shepherd, I am also a sheep. And sheep are animals that are not particularly gifted, like some other animals, for example. Sheep need a shepherd, they easily get lost. I think it's been well documented that sheep do not navigate very well, like a dog or a pigeon, for example. When you turn them loose, they can be hundreds of miles from home, but they will find their way home. A sheep won't do that. When it's lost, it's lost. It, it, it can't find its way home. They don't navigate. They don't go back to where they came from. Um, I think one professor of Philosophy, I think sort of tongue-in-cheek said that the existence of sheep is actually evidence against the theory of evolution. He says there's no way that sheep could have survived that process. Because of evolution being a survival of the fittest, and sheep, sheep wouldn't have, yeah, they wouldn't have made it. Sheep require constant oversight, constant leading, constant rescue constant cleaning, or they'll die. And if you have had any experience with shepherding um, sheep, I think I have only had a little, but you know as well as I do that sheep never take a day off. They're always in need of care and constant care. Sheep just don't automatically take care of themselves. They require, I think, as much as any animal Endless attention they take um, continuous care, and uh like I said, the Bible makes it clear that the behavior of sheep and people is kind of alike there's there's clear comparisons <clears throat> our fears, our timidity, our stubbornness to to follow, and just Outright stupidity get us in a lot of trouble as as humans, and they're all parallels to to that of a sheep and yet Peter uses that metaphor or that picture to address the people of God here in verse five or chapter five, where he talks about the flock, the flock of God, and he He does not do that to put anyone down, but I think he puts it, he he uses that, I think part of the reason he uses that is to raise the bar of integrity that is needed for people who are called to lead the flock of God. He begins in verse one where he says, The elders which are among you I exhort. The elders which are among you I exhort. And Peter has basically three things to say, or three qualities that he brings to the surface here in this passage. Um, we have familiarized ourselves probably with passages in in Titus and First and Second Timothy, where there are long lists. Paul uses, yeah, lists with a bunch of bullet points in talking about qualities of, of spiritual leaders or pastors. Well, Peter kind of narrows it down to three, as I see it, in these four verses. And he basically says there's, there's three things, three main requirements. And I've chosen to just uh, use that as sort of an outline, again, as I see it, for um, the text here. And we'll sort of follow this as, as our outline for today. Three main requirements... I think, first of all, there needs to be a relationship, a relationship with God, first of all. A relationship with God is absolutely paramount for a pastor. A spiritual leader must have a relationship with God. But aside from that, I think the fact that Peter uses the word shepherd to describe um, the relationship with people, I think there needs to be relationships with people. And again, we'll talk about that um, as we go along here. The second, the second requirement is that there needs to be a calling, a practical calling um, where yeah, pastors not only have a personal relationship with Christ and with other people, but they have a calling to serve Christ. And then thirdly, they need... To the elder, the spiritual leader needs to have a desire to please Christ. So, those are the three things we're going to look at these one by one, and we'll unpack these four verses here as we go. In verses one and two, there are three words, three Greek words that are used here to describe a pastor, a spiritual leader, an elder. We're going to look at these three words one by one. The first one is the word elder. So, he uses the word elder in verse 1. It's in the plural, but he goes on to say that he is also an elder. It's the same Greek word. So, Peter as an elder is addressing other elders, and it's the Greek word presbyteros or something like that, and it's, you can sort of see some similarity to the word Presbytery or Presbyterian that we have in the English language. It's it's the derivation for, for the same word. It refers to somebody who is mature, often older, but not necessarily always older. It refers to a person who is proven, who has experience. And again, that's not necessarily limited to age, although it could be. I want you to especially notice that Peter uses the word elder in the plural, the elders which are among you. And I think that is just instructive, because I think it's the pattern of the New Testament that there are... There is a shared leadership. That the leadership of any specific church is that the, the biblical model is shared leadership. And I know that I'm preaching because partly because that's my experience. In my case, I have had the privilege of sharing leadership with eleven men. And I will say that it is just it has just been one of the joys and the great privileges of being a pastor the last 23 years is having shared my life and my experience with these 11 men. It is a a cause for tremendous balancing and sharpening of gifts. And I think it comes through in the plurality of church leadership. And in my opinion, I just come out so strongly on that side. That is the biblical, as I see it, the New Testament model of biblical church leadership. Elders. The second word that I want you to notice is in verse 2, and in the King James Version, again, it's maybe not quite as obvious. Some of the other translations would bring it make it a little bit more clear, and that is the word oversight in the King James Version. It's the word Episcopus in in Greek, and again you can sort of see some of the um, the the same um, uh, English word episcopalian or epis- episcopal would be the same. Um, uh, yeah, share the same origin, and it it has it carries the idea of an overseer, which I think is probably the best word that could be used. Um, at least how we understand the English language today. It has the idea of, of a person who organizes, who uh, leads in that way, who uh, is a, a bishop, who, who is a chairman, that sort of thing. One who organizes. The third word is the word shepherd. And that's the word in verse 2 where in the King James Version it says, feed the flock. That's actually the word poimen, or shepherd the flock. Now, um, in numerous languages, in the the Spanish language, for example, the word shepherd and pastor are the same words. Pastor. It's the same word. There's There's only one word for shepherd or pastor, the same word. Nate Bang tells me it's the same way in Romania, and possibly other languages as well. The word pastor is the word shepherd. And it, it, at least for me, that's why I like to refer to myself as a pastor. I think it's the closest to the biblical word. A shepherd, pastor. And like I said, even though it's used in the verb form here, it is often used as in the noun form in other places. In the Greek word, like I said, it's the exact same word, shepherd, pastor. It's also in Acts 20, there you have the same three words that are used to describe the elders that came to meet Paul. Now, here's something that I think um, I find myself thinking about as I studied this week, and that is um, I, think it, I think that you could read this very easily and say that these three words, these three descriptions could be used to describe the same person. I think that would be fine to do that. These are descriptions or responsibilities of the same person. I think it can also, um, you can see in keeping, like I said, with the uh address that Peter makes to the elders, plural, that these three would be captured in the leadership team. And I don't have a problem with it either way. I want you to look now at how Peter describes himself. This is the first time here in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1, it's the first time that Peter draws attention to himself since chapter 1, verse 1. Yeah, so Peter finally comes back to talking about himself here. He says he describes himself three ways. He describes himself as a fellow, fellow elder. I love that about Peter. Peter doesn't come off as somebody that's on top of the pile. He doesn't come across as this great apostle that has had the experience of seeing and sharing intimate things with Jesus. He just calls himself a fellow elder. Elder, I'm guessing that at this point in Peter's life, he was incredibly famous through the entire um, church at that time. Uh, everywhere, people would have known or heard of Peter. But here he, he just calls himself a fellow elder. And the uh, second thing that he talks about is he describes himself as a witness. He is a person who has witnessed the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. What is a witness? Well, a witness is a person who sees something or experiences something and then tells other people about it. That's what a, a witness is, and that's what Peter is doing here. And I, I think it's interesting to note that this is in the past tense. He, is, he speaks or he uses this description as something that's in the past. He says, I was there when Christ suffered. I was there while he was here on earth. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, I am a partaker of the glory that will be revealed and it's, that word glory is used twice here in our four verses, and he circles back to it in verse four, and I want to end the sermon on that note. He is a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. I like, that, I like all three of these things about Peter. So he, has, he sees himself as a shepherd of other shepherds. He sees himself as a witness, a person who has experienced something, and he is telling and talking about what he's experienced. But he's looking to the future, and he says, I'm a partaker. In the present tense and in the future tense, he is looking to the future for the glory that shall be revealed. Looking at the three main requirements of elders, which I showed you in the previous slide, I think one of them is that he needs the elder the person of, and a pastor needs to have a personal walk with God. He needs to be a person that is growing in his walk with God. When a relationship with Christ is real and being cultivated, that person has a base from which to share and to lead. If, if that's missing or absent, there's going to be stagnation. And I think you can easily think about that or know that to be the case. Second Peter chapter three, um, which is a passage that we'll get to at some point, um, Peter says, "Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." <clears throat> there needs to be a personal relationship with Christ. The second is that there needs to be a practical calling to serve. In verse two, some of the translations use the word trust," or the word entrusted." Feed the flock which is among you. It's a trust that's been given to us. It's as if God has say, is saying that He is entrusting the care of His flock to the shepherd. And I think that should, that should just be serious business for any spiritual leader, a pastor. It's something that we should always have in our, in our minds and in our heads. These are God's people these are, this is God's flock that He has entrusted me to care for. And that changes it. It's not my people. It's not Weavertown's people. It's God's people. And I, I, I just need to be always a mind, reminded of that. <clears throat> and in Ephesians chapter 4, a, in the uh, teaching there on spiritual gifts, there are numerous... Um, giftings that are recorded there. And I think those are, again, functions that uh, take place on a leadership team. They should. They also, I think, happen uh, individually. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. But the reason God gave those gifts, according to Ephesians 4, is for the perfecting of the saints, for the growth of the people that are being ministered to or who are being served. That's the purpose for the giftings is to bring growth and maturity to the people who are being served. There's a phrase in verses 1 and 2 that I want you to notice. It's the phrase, among you. See that in verse 1? The elders which are among you and in verse 2, he repeats that. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you. I think that is instructive. The elders which are among you. The flock which is among you. And I, th- I, think, it's, I think it just speaks to the term of practical accountability. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addresses, or he writes this, um, the, the book of Philippians to the to the people who are with. Um, I'm trying to. I thought I had that in my head. It's something about the the, the 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 church being with the bishops and deacons. I think, but that word among and with I think is a model that needs to be um, caught in this passage and exercised implemented. In other words. What he's saying here is that we should not, the, um, the, the pastor, elder, comes from among. He is appointed from among. He is not imported from some other place. He is not self-appointed. I think it implies that there is an appointment or an ordination of some sort. And uh, there's just a lot that could be said about that. I think I'm going to move on. We should never think. We should never think that by giving a person a title, that the giftings will follow. But in the appointment of elders and pastors, those giftings need to be already present before a person gets to the place of leadership. As the pastors go, so goes the flock. Another way of saying that is pastors are pastors before they are pastors. And when you're among people, those gifts will be recognized in a way that um, just sort of has an organic, um, natural feel to it, where the leaders will come from among There's a gifting to feed sheep and a gifting to lead sheep. And again, there's a lot that could be said here. I, I'm running out of time. In my case, well, let me just back up just a little bit here and say First Timothy talks about, um, in the context of pastors, that leaders, pastors are to study, to Show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you break that down and look at what is actually being said, yeah, it just it implies hard work. And it, it's not for, for lazy people. And in my case, when I was ordained and started to preach, uh, it's 23 and a half years ago or so. The pastors here at Weavertown were John Yu and Aaron Lapp and Norman and Raymond King, and Chris Byler was just in the process of retiring, and uh, he hadn't preached uh, a sermon here very recently or maybe for a long time, but these men were good preachers, and when they preached here at Weavertown, they, they brought it, and I don't remember them ever telling me, but I knew. That when I preach here at Weavertown, it is my responsibility to bring it. And in order for that to happen, it takes preparation. And it takes study and enthusiastic study and preparation. It's not something that... A pastor shouldn't just give bits and pieces of the Bible. A pastor should not just be looking for... Enough to get by. A pastor should not be preaching a sermon that's some smorgasbord of a bunch of ideas, a little bit of Psalms, a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit, few bits of Revelation, that sort of thing. I believe, like I said, if you get strong sheep, there needs to be strong preparation and vigorous preaching. You teach through the books of the Bible. You preach all of it, not just pieces of it, not just parts that are comfortable to preach about and it's something that you don't have to do a pastor should never say oh it's Sunday again a pastor should never feel like it's something that he is in compulsion to do but he should do it willingly the text says he should do it with a ready mind And he should do it by way of example. Pastors who serve grudgingly are unhappy pastors. Pastors who serve grudgingly are fearful and impatient pastors. Pastors who are grudging pastors are usually ineffective pastors. And church leadership is lifted up in the Bible as being far more important than to be entrusted to men who lack the will and the desire to do the job, to do the work. In verse 3, there's a further qualification to the negative. It says they are not to be lords over. Pastors are overseers, shepherds. They're not overlords. And I think that's a word for pastors, and it's also a word, I think, for people who are not pastors. We are shepherds, not saviors. Jesus is the Savior. We are leaders, but we're not lords. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. And even though pastors work hard to bring Solutions to situations, ultimately the situation relief and the remedies come from God. Again, that's something that leaders need to be aware of, and it's something that people who are not pastors need to be aware of. the third thing here is that a leader must have a personal a very powerful desire to serve Christ to serve Christ and i'm taking this in verses uh, 3 and f- and 4 here in the text i tend to be sort of a people pleaser and some of y'all know that about me. I I really 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 dislike when people don't like me. And I I have caught myself and found myself yeah, almost completely trapped by that. And verses like this are just a reminder to me that I am an under shepherd. My my responsibility is to please God ultimately. If trying to please people is sort of like a dog chasing its tail, it just, it just never quite happens. It just, you just never quite are able to do that. As soon as you please one person, you're upsetting someone else who doesn't like it. So it's just better to focus on pleasing Christ, right? A man by the name of Stuart Briscoe said something a couple of years ago, among other things. I'm just taking a little snippet here. He says, here's the qualifications of a pastor— he needs the mind of a scholar, he needs the heart of a child, and he needs the hide of a rhinoceros. There's a legend about an old man, an old shepherd, an old man who was walking from village to village with his son, his young son, and a donkey. I said it's a legend, right? Well, they came to the first village and they were walking walking. The man and his son were walking next to the donkey, and the people of that village came to him and they said, you're a fool. He said, why are you walking beside the donkey? You should be riding the donkey. You should be riding the animal. You have a beast of burden, ride it. And so he he and his son got on the donkey and traveled to the next village. And when they got to the next village, the people of that village got all up and they said, two people. Two adults on a donkey. It's animal abuse. You need to, um, yeah, you, you need to get off of the donkey. I'm actually ahead of myself here. First of all, they they got to the second um, village, and the um, the, that, the people of that village got on the shepherd, the old man, and they said, why are, you, why are you on the donkey? You should be walking and letting your son ride the donkey. And so he did that. And the, um, the, he walked and the boy rode. And they got to the next village, and the third village now, and they got on the shepherd and the young boy and they said, you're lazy. You, you should, you're the younger person. You should be walking and letting the older person ride. And so they did that. And they got to the, the the next village, and they that's where they said that they were being cruel to the um the, the the donkey and so the last time they saw the shepherd and his son, they were walking down the road to the next village, carrying the donkey. Well, you get my point. I think any kind of work, any kind of ministry, needs to be done to please Christ and pleasing people if if that's your your mantra, which I said, it's mine. Ephesians 6 says that we should serve, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants, as slaves, doing the will of God from the heart. It needs to be the driving force. And here's why: because when we get to the end of our lives, when we get to the end, we're not going to be judged by a group of our peers. We're not going to be standing in front of our peers and have them say what they think of us. We're going to be standing in front of the shepherd, the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd to all other shepherds. And here's, here's the part that I want to leave you with as I close. If we do it right, if we have done a job that is well done, the chief shepherd shall give us a crown of glory, it says, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I think what Peter is talking about here is the Olympic Games. And the Olympic Games to this very day, who have, the Olympic Games have now been going for thousands of years. And when you finish first, second, or third in, in an Olympic contest, you have a wreath that's placed on your, your neck or on your head. And I did just a little bit of study. Of course, this was the days before plastic and nylon and those kinds of things. But the original Olympic wreaths were a wreath of leaves, actual leaves, oak leaves, laurel leaves, or flowers, and in some cases, parsley. I thought that was kind of interesting. So what you got for competing, for doing all of that work, for dedicating that that portion of your life was a little bit of... Salad, that's the word that came to my mind at least. But here, he says, it's a crown that won't fade away. It won't wither and disappear like the leaves of the Olympic wreath. The Bible says if you run this race and do it right, God will give you a crown that never fades away. We can labor for all kinds of crowns. And actually, the Bible, it's an interesting word study. If you go through the, the Bible, there's a lot of references to crowns that are given to as a reward. And some of those crowns are very temporary. They are made for this life and here in this life. They don't last. Those kinds of crowns don't last. But Peter is calling us to focus on a reward that is not temporary. And the best way to labor is for God's approval. I don't know what that crown of glory will look like. It doesn't go into specifics and tell us what it will look like, but I know for sure it will never fade away. It is not perishable. In closing, I want to draw your attention and your mind to the beginning of chapter, of chapter 5, verse 4. It says, When the chief shepherd shall appear. Peter has a theme that he repeats over and over in the books of first and second Peter and that is the second coming of Christ. I can understand that. If you're a Peter and you spent time with Jesus here on earth he knows the promises that Jesus gave that he's going to come back again and this was tough times that the church was in. There was persecution. These people were on the run. They were getting threats for their life and Peter was focused on Jesus coming back. Notice he does not say if. He says when the chief shepherd shall appear. I want that to be my focus. I want that to be my understanding of Christ. When the chief shepherd shall appear. He has promised that he's coming back. Even if you were given no crown, if there were no crown in the picture here, just being with Christ would be a reward in and of itself. But Jesus goes on to say that we'll not only be in the presence of Christ, but there's a crown, there's a reward that's giving. And I don't know about you, but any struggling shepherd, I think, should feel the grace and the motivation by the, that thought, that Jesus Christ will give us a crown of that never fades away. My prayer is that all of us would keep our focus And the gaze of our mind and our hearts and soul on Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He is coming back. It's not if, it's when. And my prayer is that we would be found faithful. If you're able, I invite you to kneel with me as we pray. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask your guidance and wisdom and protection and presence on our lives. I pray for your grace and power, and I pray that it would be new and fresh and um, yeah, just vivid in our hearts and minds. I thank you for the promises in your Word. Thank you for the promises of 1 Peter. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have our hearts and minds focused on, on the reward that comes from you. I pray that you would deliver us from chasing after temporary and earthly rewards. And I pray that our focus and our attention would be motivated and guided by the fact that you are coming back for, for your people and that we'll receive a crown that doesn't fade away. Again, I pray your blessing, your wisdom and power to be on us as we go throughout our lives. I pray through Christ. Amen. I really enjoyed it. One thing that I'm really thankful for is the leadership that we had had in the past. Um, Yeah, many great men that were leading this church that led by example. Um, Yeah, I'm really thankful for that. And I'm also thankful for the men that are on the leadership team for my fellow leaders that I can serve with. It's it's a great privilege and blessing um, to be able to to do that. I've been, I was challenged with a message this morning to feed the flock and that's my desire. Um, God is entrusting me to f- feed his flock and I want to do that willingly with a ready